but God. There's a whole philosophy of life that's found in that phrase. The phrase is a challenge to the trend of the thinking of most of our day and one of the basic assumptions of our day. For example, the world in which we live today seeks to eliminate God, and if there is no God, then life is nothing but a chance. In fact, that's what evolutionists say. They say that God did not make the world and that the world just came into being by chance. And out of that philosophy of life comes the, a philosophy of fatalism, that life will be what it will be and there's not anything that can be done about it, that we are sort of in the uh, hands of chance and let come what will, we'll simply toss this way and that way. Or on the other side, there are those who say that man by himself must take care of all the problems of life and there is no source from which he can receive help. And that kind of philosophy of life, of course, brings about despair. And so we live in a world that is confused and uh, has lost its way. But the phrase, but God, indicates that behind and above and below in relation to everything is God. If I can believe that and build my life upon that, it gives me a way of looking at life that enables me to deal with whatever situation I be, may be faced in in life. Let me give you some examples of it and show you how this passage comes to have meaning. It may be that you're here tonight, and you're faced with various problems of one kind and another. You wonder, how in the world am I going to be able to deal with it? Well, I'd like you to think about this phrase tonight as we uh, study. The first one that I want to call your attention to is found in the 60th chapter of the book of Isaiah. Here you have a picture of something that would be dark days for the nation of Israel. When Isaiah wrote this book, the nation of Israel had lost its way. The first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah tell about the drift away from God and God's pronouncement upon them because of their sin. And there was the announcement that they would be carried into captivity. Chapters 40 through 66 was written to encourage the nation of Israel in their captivity to help them uh, face that and understand how it would be dealt with. But listen to what he said. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. Think about that. Darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness of people. That's what sin does. They'd be living in a pagan land where there was pagan worship, where men bowed down before idols and were unmindful of the true and the living God. Now you think about the people small in number. In fact, the ten tribes had already been overrun by the Assyrian captivity and only the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin were left, the southern kingdom. Think about 
these two small tribes being overrun by the mighty Babylonian Empire. Now they're down in that empire, out of their land, under the control of Babylon, the strongest nation the world had ever known at that time, even stronger than Egypt, from which they were delivered in their in the origin of the nation. What hope could that be? How would things ever change? Listen to the rest of the passage. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness of people. But the Lord, there's our phrase now, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the, to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about and see. All they that gather themselves together, they come to thee. Thy son shall come from afar, and thy daughter shall be nursed at thy side. Then shalt thou see and flow together, and thine heart shall appear, and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The force of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. And there he describes what's going to take place. Drop down to verse 10. And the sons of the strangers shall build up thy walls, and thy king shall minister unto thee. For in my wrath I smote thee, but in my favor I had mercy on thee. Now think about that. These people had lost their way, and because of their sin had gone into captivity. Now then, Isaiah sees a day that when in the midst of all of that, that little phrase, but God, would make all the difference in the world. And if you're acquainted with the Old Testament, you realize that there came a day when there was a king by the name of Cyrus. And uh, he said that Isaiah said, he understood that Isaiah said that God would raise him up to send these people back home. Sure enough, that's what happened. Read the book of Ezra, then read the book of Nehemiah, and you'll find how that these people, small in number, not the whole nation, only the penitent group, the ones that turned to God in faith and in penitence, but God made the difference. And these people came back to that land. They rebuilt the temple. They worshiped God again. How did all of that come about? But God made the difference. I need to believe that. I know that the church here has faced some dark days and some difficult times, but we need to remember that this little phrase can help us as we try to overcome the difficulties of the past and as we face the future. Let me read to you again. This time from the second uh, Corinthian letter, uh, verse 13 of chapter 2. Listen to what Paul said. I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Paul had written the letter to Corinth, and he had sent Titus, hoping to things would change in Corinth. Go back and read the first letter. Read about all the problems. You know about a church with problems. The church in Corinth had them multiplied. The Judaizing teachers were undermining the, their attitude toward the Apostle Paul. They were on the verge of rejecting him. And in the midst of all of this, Paul writes that first letter, pretty strong, 
And then he sends Titus to try to help him. He waits and waits, and Titus didn't come. Can you imagine? Here's a man that had labored to start a congregation. And now then he, he's seeing it as it's drifting away, and with all the care and concern about that, and while he's waiting for Titus to come back with good news, there is no good news. But listen to the next verse. Now thanks be unto God. There's, though that's not the exact words, there's the idea. But God. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savour of his knowledge by us in every place. God made the difference. Paul said, Though I was discouraged and concerned over the fact that Titus had not returned, God always makes us to triumph. Now turn with me to the seventh chapter. Let's begin reading in verse 5. For when we were come again into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. Now think about it. But we are troubled on every side. Life ever like that? Listen to it. Without were fightings, and within with fear. Ever feel like that? Look at the next verse. Though it's not the phrase, but God, the idea is there. Listen to it. Nevertheless, God. So instead of the word nevertheless, let's just say. But God, that comforted those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And Titus brought him good news. You see, in the midst of what Paul was facing, he was disturbed and concerned, discouraged and perhaps downhearted. And yet in the midst of all of that, he said that Christ causes us to triumph. I'm not giving up. I believe that I'm going to be successful. I believe they're going to win the victory. And then, with the trouble on every side, finding no rest, Titus came. And Paul said, God did that to comfort my heart. Look again in the same book in chapter 12. Though the exact language is not used, listen to it. For I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that heareth me. Now look at verse 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above made. So Paul was having a problem. I don't know what that thorn in the flesh was. It may have been the Judaizing teachers that was a thorn in his flesh. There are some that think it was his eyesight or some physical matter. That doesn't matter. In reality, what it was, there was something that he called a thorn in the flesh. And then he, <clears throat> because of that, he said, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice. Three times. It was really a problem to that I that it might depart from me. I look at the next verse. And he said unto me, and for that he said unto me, just put the phrase, but God, or here but Christ, but he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather go in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, 
But God transformed that thorn into flesh into something that was useful and beneficial. And Paul used that. It doesn't matter what we may be confronted with in life. Whenever we realize that God can make the difference, He can even take the unpleasant and the difficult things of life and transform them into that which will be a blessing in our life. Look at the transformation that took place in the life of Paul. Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities. Now, you think about a fellow, a man, here's one that has a thorn in the flesh. It may have been the persecution that he was receiving. Let's just suppose that that's what it was. And he wanted to get out from under all of that persecution from the Judaizing teachers and from the Jewish, from his Jewish brethren. He wanted to get out from under all that. Now then, if that's what it was, He's going to use that in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I made strong. You see, in the midst of <clears throat> struggling in his weakness with the problem that he had, the thorn in the flesh, perhaps trying to handle it in his own way, pleading with God to take it off of him, saying, it's more than I can handle, it's more than I can deal with. But God said, you're not in it by yourself. I'm going to help you do it. I'm going to provide what you need. My grace is sufficient. And if you'll let me where you are weak, my grace will provide strength. Out of that, you'll be stronger than you've ever been. Isn't that a wonderful promise? That's the promise that God makes to us with our thorn in the flesh. When there is no removing of it. He provides the means that we may take that and use it so that it may become a blessing in our lives. Isn't it unfortunate that so many times <clears throat> with our problems and our difficulties in life, we are unmindful of the promises that God has made and the strength that we can receive and the grace that he provides. I'm so glad that <clears throat> when sin entered into the world, God recognized the consequences of sin. And he didn't leave man to face sin alone. And he realized the varied outcroppings and the various ways that sin may affect us. But in the midst of all of that, God provides the answer and the solution and the help. And he says, I'll be right there to be able to help you. Let me read again. Turn with me now to the second chapter of the book of Ephesians. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. I want you to listen while he describes some things. 
wherein in times past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Think about living a life like that. Is there any hope? Is there any help? Is there any possibility? Here are people who are under the prince of the power of the air. That is, they're in hell within the bondage and the clutches of Satan. Satan has them in his hands. Is there any way out? Listen. Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Think about that. Here's a picture of the Jews and the Gentiles. Fulfilling the lust of the flesh, the power and the influence of the body over man, as the evil things of the world appeal to us. Is there any way out? Is there any hope? Is there any help? Listen to the next verse. But God, as I pray, that's not the end. Ah, to live in this world without God, with all the temptations and the appeals and the things that are destructive and the things that pull down and the things that destroy, a world without God. In this same chapter, drop on down to verse 12. That at that time you were without Christ, being aided from the commonwealth of Israel, stranger from the covenant promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. How dark. Drop back up now to verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins. And so you see, when man was found in the clutches and in the bondage of sin, and he couldn't get out, how Satan had him. But God intervened. But God did something. But God, because of his great love, said, I'm not going to leave Satan to hold him. I'm going to make a way out. Out of the riches of my mercy and my grace, I'm going to change things. And so he said, I quicken us together with Christ by grace, are you saved? Now look at it. Verse 6. And hath raised us up together, and hath made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now look at the contrast. From verse 4 down through verse 6. With that which you read in verses 2 and 3. While men dead in their sins and in their trespassing. The word dead means separated. Being held in the bondage and the clutches of Satan, they're unable to get out. And in the midst of all of that, but God made the difference. Young people, listen to me. Learn this truth. In the world in which you live, you don't have to live it in your own strength. 
and without God's help. This verse that I have just read, this phrase, but God can make the difference in your life. And when you're struggling with the trials and the temptations that surround you every day, just remember, but God will help you handle it, if you'll only let him. But God will take the pressures that are around you, and with his help, he'll make you strong, help you overcome, and help you use them as a means of developing a character that will not be destroyed by the things that are destroying multitudes today. I read uh, just briefly an article today that was talking about the fact that we're living in a day when we don't want young people to be young people. We want children to grow up. We can't wait for them to grow up. And how that we are robbing young people and are robbing children of a part of their life that's important because we want them to mature so quick. And out of the pressure that comes from that, they're unable to handle. Though we may be proud of them, then life begins to fall apart. And this article said, you may have read it, that's the reason that there is so much suicide among teenagers today is because one of the things we're trying to make them grow up too fast and to put pressure on them that they're unable to deal with. And I suspect that there's far more truth in that. And this article went on to say that we ought to let children grow and be children and enjoy their childhood and not try to lead them and push them to mature too quick. And so, young people, I know there are pressures around you on every side. But just remember, God can make the difference. One other passage I want to look at. Turn with me now to the 12th chapter of the book of Luke. Here was a man that came to Christ, and he had heard Christ refer to the law, and uh, the synagogue, and the magistrates, and the powers, and he said, don't take any thought for what you're going to say, talking to the apostles. And he said that you'll be taught in that hour what to say. And then one of the company came to him and said, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And then Jesus pointed out that he didn't come into the world to do that. And no doubt he had reference to what the law of the Old Testament said. The elder brother was to receive a double portion. It may have been that he hadn't received that. It may have been... That had been taken away from, but anyway, whatsoever it had happened, he then warned about covetousness, and then he gave a parable. Listen to what he said. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruit. And he said, This will I do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater barns. Thou bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Thou hast much good laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God, and as I pray, but God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he 
that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I began our study by pointing out how it was that God could help people and did and made the difference in the lives of people. And then I, I pointed out a number of passages, a number of ways that he's done that. And we can see what God can do. But then there are those who believe that all of that's only foolishness, that it really doesn't make sense, and that there's not anything that really can come from that. And like that man, they think they can make it on their own without God and without God's help. They say, I don't need it. I can build bonds. I can build greater bonds. I can fill them up. And when I have all of that, I'm going to be secure. Everything will be well. But God has the last word. But God said, you miss what life's all about. There's not security in that. All those bonds that you have, how much longer did it lengthen his life? He said, I have much good laid out for many years. That's what he said. But God said, this night, you don't have many years, it's now. And that's the way it is. When I refuse to recognize the first principle that I talked about, but God makes the difference. What God can do when I give him a chance, when I refuse to recognize that, there comes a time whenever it's but God said, you thought you'd get along without me. You thought you could make it without me. You thought you could ignore me. You thought you didn't need me. And then we realize, like that man did, in I was foolish. And that's what God called Thy fool, this night thy soul is required of thee. I hate to think about the fact that as I left here tonight, I'd have to go out in my own strength. By my own wisdom, and through my own efforts, without any help outside of me, face tomorrow. I'd hate to think about facing tomorrow without knowing that there is an avenue of prayer. But as I begin the day, on bended knee, humble spirit, recognition of my own weakness, to reach up and take hold of the hand of God and say, Oh Lord, I need you today. Will you help me? I know not what I may face. But I know you've promised that you'll be there. Will you hold my hand 
as I walk through the treacherous storms and trials and seas that I may face today, and with a confidence that cannot be shaken, and a faith that's unfaltering, in the knowledge of the faithfulness of God, to know that as I face the day, my life is in the hollow of his hand and beneath the shadow of his wing. And with that faith and confidence to begin the day. Is that the way you begin your day? Or will you begin tomorrow wondering how am I going to face all the multiplied things that I'll have to face? And then in your own strength, have to handle it. Brother Morgan came to me before the service tonight and said, I appreciate your sermons. He said, they make me feel good. That thrilled my soul because that's what I'm trying to do. If we can learn what it means to be a Christian. And if I can help you know the joy of being a child of God, then I'm doing what I want to do and what I'm trying to do. And if I can create a thrill within your soul that you're a Christian, then I will accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish. I hope I've done that tonight. Can you say, but God makes a difference in my life? As you leave here tonight, can you leave here and say, but God, oh, I know, I don't know what tomorrow may bring, but God is going to make the difference. Wouldn't you like to be a Christian? Wouldn't you like to leave here with that tonight? You can. He's waiting with outstretched arms. Please, and say won't you let me make the difference? Won't you let me help you? Are you going to turn that down? Let me plead with you not to do it. Go out in your own strength. If you're not a Christian tonight, don't you believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son? Aren't you tired and weary of sin, and aren't you penitent of it? Don't you want to turn from and give it up? Aren't you willing to confess that Christ is the Son of God and your only hope and only Savior? Aren't you willing to be buried with him by baptism tonight, to bury that old man and leave it behind and come up out of the water saying, but God is going to make the difference in my life? If you're a Christian, if you've been trying to live it without God in your own strength, and out of that you stumbled and fought and failed and brought shame and reproach on the church, why not tonight say, I'm no longer going to try it in my own strength. I'm going to let God make the difference. 